something has to happen for this to be an hour long or hour and a half long movie. It can't be sex the whole time. So there's just random kind of ordinary life things happening in real time because nobody's bothering with intercutting and, you know, anything to make time pass in a complicated way. Um, And this movie is a lot like that. Have you heard of this movie? I hadn't. Reckless is a 1984 romantic drama that was everyone's first time except for Daryl Hannah. Irish-American hotness Aidan Quinn plays Johnny, a high school football player living with his alcoholic steelworker, single father, and legendary blonde Daryl Hannah plays Tracy, a cheerleader who has everything, including an annoying boyfriend who is also a football player. Daryl Hannah married Neil Young about five minutes ago, which actually I have no opinion about. Johnny and Tracy go to a dance together and bone. That is the entire plot of the movie. Also, there are kids in bowling alleys, waitresses, some football games, and career day. The film was directed by James Foley in his debut. He went on to direct Who's That Girl, a few Madonna videos, Home Alone, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, a dozen episodes of House of Cards, and the Fifty Shades of Grey sequels. Foley was the best man at Madonna's wedding to Sean Penn, for whatever that's worth. Reckless was written by Chris Columbus while he was literally working in a factory to pay his tuition at NYU because he forgot to file his scholarship forms. Deal with that paperwork, kids. After selling this script, he went on to be a wildly successful filmmaker. He wrote Gremlins and the Goonies at around the same time, and then went on to direct the first couple of Harry Potter movies. I have no information about Chris Columbus's romantic life, but I think he lives up the street from me in San Francisco. Today, on Surprisingly Problematic, our guest is writer and TED Talker Keo Stark, and this is going to get dirty. Hi Keo, how are you today? Hi Erica, I'm doing great, how are you? I'm fantastic. So you are in Brooklyn at the moment? I am in Brooklyn, yes, in my living room. And, and how, is, how is beautiful uh, late summer? Uh, you know, it's delightful today. Tomorrow it's going to become tropical misery again. Mm, the best time for yeah. iced coffee all day. <laughs> and so, so can, you, can you take us back? So to uh, this episode, we're discussing uh, 1984's Reckless and uh, at your suggestion. And, and could you paint a picture for us of where, where was young Keo in 1984? <laughs> so in 1984, I was living in Binghamton, New York, which is upstate kind of Western New York. And for the many people for whom that means nothing, it's kind of like a broken down Midwestern industrial town. It was even then. And so I went to high school, uh, much like the high school in this movie, with a lot of kids who were not going to college, who, you know, the job prospects were not great. The people who had families with money didn't necessarily have like white collar professional jobs. They might have had like good management jobs at the plant and stuff like that. I was spending my evenings at ballet class pretty much every night. So a couple hours between school and ballet that I usually spent watching either MTV or movies that I had taped and watched over and over again for example, Reckless. Wow, you, you could have had your own 80s movie, Ballet Dancer, Steel Mill Town. Yes. I mean, there was no steel in this town. It was, you know. 
other things. But flash dance. Yeah, that's Sorry. flash dance. <laughs> yes, they made that movie. Actually. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, what sort of mills did you have uh, in your town? We didn't have mills. We had um, General Electric making weapons, I think, and there was a huge IBM plant there. Ah, um, plants. And then the uh-huh. two of the the towns had been founded by the shoe factory magnates Endicott and Johnson, mm-hmm. which if you're old enough, you might remember Endicott Johnson shoes, but probably not. No. Yeah. It was local-ish. And and so what was your like social scene like? So I'm sure ballet was, a, that's a time-consuming extracurricular activity. Yeah. So I was in a funny position though. Um, I was from this kind of overeducated Jewish family and I started in my high school in ninth grade after having gone to like weird hippie schools where I do, really didn't know how to go to high school. And who did the kids I went to? <laughs> sorry. Who did know how to go to high school? <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't even know what to mm-hmm. expect. Like I was an only child. It was a mystery to me. I only knew high school from the movies. Ooh. Yeah. So all the kids I went to school with had known each other since kindergarten. I was called the new girl for the entire three years I was in high school. (laughs) And I was kind of a Martian. And for some reason, because there was only one of me, it was totally Mm -hmm. acceptable. I didn't really understand cliques. I didn't know that I was supposed to sit at lunch with the same kids every day. And I found it puzzling when somebody told me, well, it's okay if you sit with your boyfriend and his friends, but Otherwise, you have to sit with us, like my good friends. I didn't do it, but I used to get driven home to change my socks because they didn't match, and that bothered my friends. Wow, that's some enforced conformity there. Gently enforced. They gave you a ride. Yeah, yeah. That actually only happened once, but it made a big impression on me. Yeah, and that would definitely be included in the movie of of your life. In the movie of Kyo Ballet Girl. Down, getting driven home yeah. to change her socks. To change her unmatched so that They socks. would match because you were, perhaps this was a little bit before Punky Brewster. I, I don't know. I think it must have been. Yeah. It was not uh, a fashion, it was not a fashion choice that was considered acceptable. And they gave me a wide berth. I mean, I wore all these like army surplus clothes. Oh, but that was at that time, like at least where I went to school in LA, army surplus was an acceptable genre of subculture dressing yeah where I was it was pretty limited sites and mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned from going to this particular high school was that for the kids I went to high school with and I associate this with a kind of working class fashion ethic like looking nice is important basically you don't have mm-hmm. as much room to look like a slob yeah though. oh yeah yeah I, I, I get that because there's no there's no irony right in dressing like an economically disadvantaged individual. Exactly. There's no fashion. It's just right. so so clearly you right. want to separate yourself. Yeah. There's no hipster yes. hipster there's thrift not. store. There's only yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So so then you'd watch movies on uh, on VHS. Yes, on a black and white TV also. My mom didn't get us a color TV and I thought that it was because they were too expensive and at some point when I was maybe 17, right before I left home, I asked her about it. And she said, oh, no, they're not that expensive. I just thought it would be sort of cute if you grew up with black and white TV, like the way some kids grow up and their parents won't let them have sugar. 
That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I think learning about mm -hmm. the different varieties of, of familial social engineering is uh, is one of the best parts of these conversations. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So you were restricted restricted to grayscale, and yet you were able mm -hmm. to have have this movie, a uh, uh, reckless that you you rent. Did you rent? the tape or did you have no I'm sure I taped it off at like HBO okay so so you had a black and white tv and yet you had HBO mm -hmm. and and MTV we had MTV and HBO from like day one wow wow yeah because I had a color tv but but no cable yeah no we were cool my mom watched yo MTV raps oh, with me oh that's amazing and black, and black and white, and white. <laughs> it explains <laughs> not very much but it's it's still funny um <laughs> Okay, yeah. so so why did you uh, why did you select uh, this movie to talk about? So I was thinking about movies that I really really loved, and this came out when I was fourteen. But I continued to watch it. I remember watching it in college with college friends, and I remembered that it was kind of racy, mm -hmm. but I didn't really remember that much about it. So I thought, okay, well, I had this like clear attachment to this movie, um, and it was my favorite teenager movie of course, I was also like snotty and watched a lot of Hitchcock movies but of the teenager movie genre this was far and away my favorite so I thought okay let's watch this it'll be a little exciting you know Aiden Quinn super hot Daryl Hannah never quite did it for me but you know <laughs> she's in it as the lead girl okay um, okay so you're she looks so awkward well that's her that's her gazelle deer lots of cheekbones kind of look I guess. Uh, and this yeah. was the same year that she yeah. literally played a fish out of water in Splash, which was... It was the same year? The same year. 1984. Oh, my God. That was my first... I had no idea. Daryl Hannah awareness. And that's when... That was the first Touchstone movie Splash was, when Disney was like, oh, we want to make things for adults. And that means sexy mermaid, not just little mermaid, but sexy mermaid who ends up in some dude's bathtub. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... Two years previous to Reckless, this is what blew my mind when I was doing my little tiny amount of background research. Blade Runner was 1982, and that's uh, the movie in which Daryl Hannah played Pris, the sex android. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I, yeah, she's had quite a career. Yeah, she, she really has. But just in this time period, it's like she'd already done the um the sex replicant thing and then she's back in high school right so uh, right yeah mermaid. yeah Ancient sex mermaid. robot high school mermaid okay sex mermaid mermaid yeah and her her first movie was some sort of horror thing like in 81 or 79 or something i don't know was this aiden quinn's first movie also research lady this was aiden quinn's first movie okay this was his debut okay. with the much more experienced daryl <laughs> hannah and i believe it was also director james Foley's debut as well. The director of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and many other more uh, terrible movies than that. See, no wonder yeah. it's good. Um, uh, 50, Fifty Shades Darker, maybe maybe not so good. Um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is maybe. good. Yeah, he didn't do the original Fifty Shades, but he did <laughs> okay, the, back the to other two in the trilogy. And he did a lot of Madonna videos. So yeah, so that that all... He did that Okay. Yeah, it's all really coming together. And so your memory of this movie was, huh, it was a little spicy. I watched it a lot uh, in huh. black and white. This all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so the the movie starts with uh, 
Aiden Quinn playing Johnny Rourke, <laughs> uh, riding around on his uh, bad boy motorcycle and shotgunning a can of mm-hmm. steel mill lager or something, steel town lager. Iron City beer. Iron City beer, yes. Iron City beer. Yeah, and he's doing all this like on this sort of overlook that, that overlooks the steel mill yes. and all the sort of atmospheric steam coming out of the, the smokestacks. And so we're like located in Pittsburgh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania kind of area mm-hmm. by just that scene. And then he does this death wish trick that he does more times in the movie where he puts the can beer very close to the edge of this platform and then guns his motorcycle around, slides it sideways and knocks the beer can over without himself going over the edge. A lot about him from that first scene. We do, we do. He's got skills and, and a moderate death wish. And then there's a game of chicken with the uh, high school girls in a convertible. One of whom is Jennifer Grey. One of whom is Jennifer Grey, and I believe it was also her screen debut. I was like, wow, where did she come from? Um, she just has a small role, but you know, you can definitely distinctive looking. You know, before she made her very poor life post dirty dancing choice of uh, getting that nose job <laughs> that made her instantly unrecognizable unlike the yes. delightfully recognizable jennifer gray okay so they have this game of chicken with uh he's on the bike and she's in the car and and it's like they're driving towards each other and it's the whole movie they're driving towards each other they're daredevils what will happen when they come together Tracy. Oh, shit. Tracy, come on. swerves right yeah i'm pretty sure he swerves but everyone lives everyone lives that time and uh, and yeah it's very clear from the beginning what sort of of movie we're in yes. it is it is the yes uh, much like pretty in pink uh people from the wrong side of the tracks uh rich kid poor kid drawn together but this one is so much more despite the kind of the uh, steel town cliches and uh, the kind of simplistic dynamic, like this one was really like verite yes. for high school movies at this yes, time. Yes, it was. The, the wrong side of town is really wrong. And <laughs> it's not adorably no, wrong. It's like bad news. And, you know, the, there aren't that many rich kids. Um, the, there's a whole kind of theme going on about money and no one having any and you know, the prospect of getting a job being unlikely and the good jobs being still at the steel mill. Nobody's going to college. No one's talking about college. It comes up later probably that Daryl Hannah is going to college in this kind of sly way that maybe mm-hmm. we'll talk about specifically. Um, but it, like money and the lack of it is sort of everywhere in this movie. Yeah. And one thing, and and so talking about career day, like that was one of the things that the kids were doing in class. It was like, it was like, talk about your potential careers, what you might aspire to. 
And, and I really appreciate it. They have a moment. They show the, the kids and the troublemakers and the football players all acting up and like, oh, making a big joke about it. And the earnest, downtrodden, yes. professorial-seeming high school teacher is like, you know, trying to get them to at least fake it. Uh, but they do a, a close-up on one of the, uh, the index cards with career goals and, and a student named Michael Ballhouse writes as his career goal, cannabis cultivator. And I'm like, my friend, I have a message for you from the future. Stick with that goal because it becomes a real legal and potentially <laughs> lucrative job in the 21st century. So hang in there, Mike. <laughs> Stick with that goal. Okay, this is about career day. The idea is goals. One, what do you want to be? What do you hope to get out of life? Okay, come on, start writing. Why am I going to do this? I already explained to you. It's to uh, get us ready for career day. Suppose we don't know what we want to do. Yeah. We're not asking for a lifetime commitment. We just want to know what are your hopes, your fantasies, your dreams for the future. I know you got them. Suppose we don't have them. Then just copy off the kid next to you, right? But that scene is also kind of amazing. Like, no one has any dreams for the future in this place. Nothing. There are no aspirations. There, you know, none. None whatsoever. Yeah, there are none. There are really none. And that was the thing that's so uh, so striking to me, especially after uh, you know starting this series out with Pretty in Pink, uh, which is a, a rich kid, poor kid uh, movie. The poor kid was definitely going to college. Like she had her scholarship all, all sewn up, and all of the fashion was and uh, and the cars were very. Uh, they were trendy and very aspirational and not even the richest kid in reckless had any sort of trendy or fashionable style it was like oh your clothes came from sears this season as opposed to the sears clothes from the charity bin. yeah yeah exactly and the also the the high school students looked like real high school students like they looked like doughy and unattractive and bad makeup and like this is right. there's no polish on this at all yeah. in this very the hair is fried movie. the guys are wearing like boring sweater vests everybody yeah. appears to be dressed for like a really frosty steel town autumn and uh, and so yeah so we meet Daryl Hannah and she's sort of uh, I think she you know she's got good bones and uh, (laughs) but you know she doesn't she doesn't have charm necessarily so she's got this raw animal sort of she even has a zit in one scene that you can see the cover-up yeah like you can really i noticed that in the light of the game of chicken i'm like wow she's got a real like chin zit thing going on and that's that's just part of it and so it all it all looked really real and then they have um, uh, the first really key uh, I think dramatic moment comes uh, during the yes. um, the morning PA announcements. Were these yes, a thing you had in um, yes in middle yes, school? We all sit there in homeroom, PA. and then the principal or someone gets on the weird intercom system and makes announcements. And so they have these two student hosts. They look like you know freshman sophomore girls or something like that. With a you know again very un- unfashionable, doughy, unpopular. And they announced that the dance is coming up, the tin can can. <laughs> and the fascinating device for this dance, which I, I'd never heard of. I'd heard of like, you know, Sadie Hawkins, where, you know, shockingly girls invite boys to the dance. And then there were your standard high school dances. But this one, 
uh, some of the couples would actually be chosen from slips of paper in a can that they pull out. Which on is, air. you know, like a clever plot device to make the rest of this happen. Props to the scriptwriters on that. Yeah. Couples were matched at random, and each one enjoyed free tickets to the dam. And the lucky couples are Ket McDelchick and Karen Zyber. <laughs> Gus Yulensky and Kathy Benario. <laughs> Randy Daniels and Mary Pat Sykes. <laughs> Scott Metcalf and Monica Johnson. And Johnny Wark and Tracy Prescott. Oh, shit. What the hell happened? I fixed it. A... You tell me. Right. Yeah, excellent. They they did a uh, they they made a choice. They made a choice. And so, of course, Daryl Hannah's bohunk football player boyfriend has ri- thought he had rigged this arrangement so that they could go together. And something goes wrong, dreadfully wrong. You can see it even on the faces of the girls <sighs> making the announcements because she ends up paired up with Aiden Quinn, Johnny Rourke, who is yeah. also a football player, but is this yes. you know sort of bad boy weirdo at one point the her boyfriend says to Aiden Quinn what happened to you you used to be normal and he says oh I grew out of it (laughs) excellent excellent line yeah and the the funny thing about that scene to me was the um the uh, announcer's decision to commit to the democratic process because if the fix had been (laughs) in and I figure how do you fix something like this you Right. buy beer from one of the PA girls or something, but she reads the name and she's like, well, that's, you know, that's the name. That's, that's the law around here. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it. this is, yeah. this is just how it's gotta be, but sure. And so she's like, yeah, you know, Tracy you know, looks at her boyfriend, like, well, the fates have decided, like, it's like the hunger games and, and not <laughs> like they can just refuse and say, Oh, you know what? We're going to opt out of the, the the tin can rules and just go it's like no the tin can god has spoken and uh there's no opting out yep there's no opting out fate has been set your fate has been set so then we're at the dance um oh no wait first we're seeing johnny rourke prepare to go to the dance and he's like really trying to look nice he's dressed up he's in a suit he's got a um carnation soaking in something to make its tips absorb you know like be tinted which of course since i was watching it in black and white um (laughs) i was not immediately tipped off to the fact that he's dyed it black and i didn't find that out until later when she complains about it um but in fact he is making a black carnation for her as her corsage oh god and yes and then we meet his dad who's clearly this old drunk and is is kind of being affectionate and making Aiden Quinn uncomfortable with this affection and get slips him some money. Go. Just come in. What? What is this? Dance looking like an asshole. <laughs> you look like a fucking farmer. Yeah. Looks like a tie. Watch it. What's this for? You don't want it? Give it back. No. I think it's something. So that's what's been the matter with you. Well, I'm glad it's out, Bob. At least I know how you feel about me now. What? Sure, I'm glad it's out, too. I wasn't hiding anyway. Nothing. I wish you don't hide anything from you. Come on, Pete. 
Just give you a little shit. Uh, and he goes off to the dance, and yeah. he finds Daryl Hannah, and it's very like, well, okay, let's have some punch. Like, let's just do this. And they're both all grumbly. Um, and another kind of clever plot device that's happened is at the high school dance, the music is coming from a record player, right? Which enables one of the most orgasmic moments in the whole movie, which has many, <laughs> to happen, which is that they're dancing to this like dumb whatever music and Johnny Rourke says- Some R&B says, slow yeah, jam something. or something. Yeah, and Johnny Rourke says, fuck this noise. And he goes over to the record player, like searches through something, comes up with a record, puts it on dramatically and it's Romeo void. I might like you better if we slept together. And he starts dancing this crazy, like mosh pit flinging himself around dancing. Yes, that eighties um, dance, that eighties dance yes. he did. Yes. And then everyone like Daryl Hannah's like, okay, I'll roll with this. And everyone around them starts kind of bopping around, but they can't do the dance. They're just, they've just agreed to like speed it up a little. No, seriously, it'll be fine. It's just for a couple of hours. You want to dance? We're Yeah, that, I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing. Just in terms of everything set up before this has been very, you know, out of touch, depressed, steel mill town. You know, the way he, the way Johnny Rourke dresses up as he grabs his father's old jacket from, from the closet. And then all of a sudden, Romeo Void, like you had prepared me for this. You said, oh yeah, there's cool music like Romeo Void. came on and I remember hearing the song on the radio in LA on K-Rock and and it's a very it's a very raw I mean sexual song yes. obviously and it's so yes. sort of on the nose for this And also, can you imagine, like, an actual high school, like, like, how did a teacher, like, in, in a, the world I occupied, a teacher would, like, go up to that and just, like, take that record straight off and probably break it. Oh, yeah. There's no grown-ups in this moment doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. How did it even get in there? Yeah. Yeah. Where did this come from? Because how did they learn about this? Like, what? We never met the hipster. There was no, like, in Pretty in Pink, right. there was no new wave record shop like where did like that's the great mystery right. no this is just somehow it's there there's also even prior to this there is like in excess mm -hmm. in the soundtrack that's kind of his you know moody music um but yeah the romeo void is like 
okay, we're in a different movie than we thought we were going to yeah. be in. And that movie is the sex is what we find out. Um, yes. Yes. And at this point in the movie, has he already uh, kind of sexually assaulted a waitress? Did that happen in the early part of the movie too? Yeah. Yeah. That's in the first scene in the bowling alley where she's, uh, you know, he, he's like sexes everybody up with his eyes. He's also has this kind of confidence that is so extreme that he cannot be unsettled. Like, you know, kids are like pushing and shoving him and calling him an asshole. And, you know, he says, yeah, I like you too. Like he, he, um, flirts as if he's gay, yeah. you know, the later there's a scene with the football coach and the football coach is being super aggressive and he's just baiting him by being calm. So, so he's got the, whatever. So there's this waitress at the bowling alley who he's clearly had a thing with and he kind of rolls in and is like, you know, you should, I should come and come home with you and she says no she it seems like she's got a kid but she's living at home hey you joke where are you going later we're going to bed with who myself what good is that it's good for sleeping come on stop talking how about i join you thanks going straight home too why don't you get your own fucking place we don't really understand what's going on, but then he knocks a soda over on her. And so she's in the bathroom and he goes in and uh-huh. it's a little rapey. I mean, I remember as a teenager thinking it was more like just, oh, this like we shouldn't be doing this in the bathroom. But he does do a lot of tit grabbing in that scene. He just like walks straight up and she's wearing. And again, I also admired the... um the plainness of all the underwear. Oh God, the underwear is so plain and bad. There was no fancy eighties lingerie at all. Like she's just wearing this plain sort of off white beige bra, like trying to, this poor waitress is, is in there like trying to get the soda off of her uniform. She's got, we have to pay for our uniforms. And he just walks in and he's like, yeah, here I'm grabbing your bibs. But then it sort of gets a little hot for a second and then you cut away to some other thing. But yeah, so it's been established that like, he like gets yeah. it on with older ladies, yeah. basically post graduate waitress ladies. ladies. Um, yes, he sexually assaults waitresses. <laughs> yeah, because that's what was going on. So yeah, yeah they're at the yeah. dance, and Randy's the boyfriend. Right. Yeah, the boyfriend. He's a little. He sees yeah. this hot new wave dancing happening yeah. between Johnny and Tracy, and he's displeased. He is displeased. Yes. He probably understands the lyrics of the song, and he goes after Johnny. Right, he, he starts, he a, starts fight. a fight, and uh, and there's you know there's a little, and then she gets mad yeah. at him for starting the fight, and then you you take the good line. <laughs> um, oh God, I forgot the good line. You have to where's the good line? It's like I was angry and I did it for you, something like that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because the yeah the next day when when she confronts her boyfriend about what happened, he said I was pissed off and I did it for you. <laughs> Where'd you go last night? Why were you answering your phone? I had nothing to say. Hey, so listen, so I was drunk and I got pissed off. So what? I did it for you. I did it for yourself. What the hell's that supposed to mean? Forget it. And I don't want to forget it. 
What is it, that time of the month or something? Why do you always ask me that? He's really been acting like a bitch lately. I don't know what the hell it is you want from me. That's the problem. Well, how am I supposed to find out? If I knew, then I wouldn't need you to. To what? To know what I want. So what does this mean? We're breaking up? Huh? We can still be friends. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're really um, some top-notch um, masculinity dialogue. dialogue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and the interesting part is there isn't that much dialogue in this movie. And the dialogue no. seems to just take up space between um, the, the sexy scenes. Then wild scenes that have either sex or near sex in them, um, which you and I discussed is a lot like the pacing of porn yeah. movies where, you know, something has to happen for this to be an hour long or hour and a half long movie. It can't be sex the whole time. So there's just random kind of ordinary life things happening in real time because nobody's bothering with intercutting and, you know, anything to make time <laughs> pass in a complicated way. Um, and this movie is a lot like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also it, uh, it made a lot of sense um, when I found out that fully, was a music video director yeah. because yes. there's conversation mm -hmm. and then the things that happen happen to right. songs. Like the driving happens to right. a song, the, uh, the dance, the, the sexy dance dance, you know, happens uh, in line with the song. And I think basically we can kind of jump ahead as the movie invites us to by being really boring yes. in between the interesting scenes. Um, there's a scene where uh, her family is going to go away for the weekend and she's talking to her mother, um, who is this kind of frazzled, frumpy, old lady looking person. And um, she's like, oh, I can't go to visit aunt whatever. Uh, you know, I have a game this weekend. I have to stay here. And, you know, her mother says, all right, you know best. And she says, do I though? Do I? And she gets in this like, existential panty wad and and she says um what is it she says i've been good right i've never had an abortion i've never had the measles i'm perfect i've i've never had the measles have i it's true i'm sick of calming down like this whole flip out and her mom is like okay well have a nice weekend sweetie and leaves i've been good haven't i as a matter of a good daughter no complaints no problems you have been good <laughs> everything's been just great I've always had a lot of friends. I don't do drugs. I've never had an abortion. I've never even had the measles. Honey, is that true? It is true, isn't it? I've never even had the measles. Well, no. That's incredible. I'm perfect. I'm fucking perfect. Honey, calm down. No, I don't want to calm down. I'm sick of calming down. I'm sick of everything being okay. Look, what are you talking about? Don't you know? No, I don't. I gotta go. Wait a minute. Okay, everything's fine. I'm just kidding around. Have a good time. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to process that. And of course, then, right, right. And then it cuts to this outside shot where we see that Aiden Quinn is watching as the family drives away. So there's this sort of, there's a, a little minor stalking going on here in a few places. Yeah, compared to St. Elmo's fire, it's extremely benign stalking. Okay. 
That's good. It's it's just slight monitoring. Yeah, monitoring. Like, <laughs> a little loose spying on. To see that the uh, the girl's family is going to be going out of town. Right. And then um, he, Aiden Quinn kind of uh, engineers this little accident where he, she bumps into him with her car on his bike and has to take him home to patch him up. Or is, then they go to the school. Maybe they go straight to the school. Yeah. And, and something I, I did appreciate about this movie, even though the, um, it, it was really like there's a scene with talking um, where kind of nothing happens and there are scenes without talking where everything happens and the, the plot kind of advances. You could tell like what time of day it was, where they were, where they were going. And so it wasn't just that the movie took place, mm-hmm. like I think many teen movies do, in a series of rooms like school, home, fancy apartment, you really did get a sense of the right. landscape all of this action was taking place in. Like you got a really strong sense yeah. of place of this dry, That's depressing, yes. uh, burned out steel mill town. And yeah, so they decide, uh, they decide to break into the high school after hours. And of course, that all happens to Kids in America by Kim Wilde. Yes. Um, which is a, a delightfully long song so that it can cover this entire scene. They do so much. They do so much. Here it is. Past, present, future, dead. Shit. One of the things that they do is play with these giant, like, bopper things that are, like, practice for some sort of sword fighting, or I don't know what they're doing at the school. I was so unclear on what, because they, they are in the gym, yes. so after they've gone through the bio room and let all the bunny rabbits right. free from their cages, yep. uh, very gently, it's, it's a very gentle yeah. bunny rabbit let lay him down like go free and the bunnies probably just sat there on the floor like whatever then they go into the main gym and uh yes and get these pads on sticks and and she hits him with one and then he takes yep. his shirt off because of course if somebody's going to hit you you should take your shirt off um, yes first nine and a half weeks rules but then uh i kind of like the way that sort of unfolds where she, it, it's like they're not stripping they're yeah. she's like okay fine you know i'll take mine off then it's not seductive at all it's this kind of like hand-to-hand combat yeah it's like this sort of athletic feeling. like oh so we're we're engaging and these ancient Greek games now. <laughs> yes. So yes. we're going to So she's in this, again, totally plain white, ugly bra. And then pretty quickly they, they're, they're in their underwear. And he is wearing droopy tidy whities uh, Yeah. You know. Yeah, not even tight. No. Nope. Not, nope. not the good. Then you recognize you're like, wow, men's underwear has come so far. It really has. In terms of the boxer brief, yes. the nice gray boxer brief, like, no, there's none of that. There is a sad... Whoever is responsible for that improvement, thank you. I thank you very I much. I think it's gay men. I was sure it's gay men. assuming that, yeah. Thank you, yeah. gay men. For improving men's underwear. And so, yeah, so then they go into the next room. It's like each of these rooms in the high school. And they have a pool 
I guess so they can have a swim team. So even this uh, impoverished town has what looks like a, a pretty nice swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she uh, strips down and jumps in the water. And he jumps in the water in his tidy whities and there is swimming pool makeout. Yes. Which, funny enough, I remembered as pool sex. Um, but the sex comes after the pool, not in the pool. Yes, it is pool. Um, yeah, it's just it's pool. It's making out. Pool groping. Pool groping. And, and pool, just like brief pool making out. But it, it mm-hmm. seems kind of realistic. And, um, and then they continue like this is, this is a a bit of a short attention span rampage through the high school (laughs) and, uh, and they, they make out for a little bit in the pool and then, um, and then they run through the door. I appreciated this. They ran through a door marked positively no admittance, (laughs) which is not locked. Cause I think they just broke in. They weren't like running around with master keys or skeleton keys. They, uh, yeah, it was just like they knew, you know, he knew some broken window you could sneak yeah. in. So they were just, they're just going through the school. And this was a, that was a thing. I don't know if you ever like ran around school after dark. I never ran around school in like this sort of porn rop of destruction, but no, me um, either, but yes. But yeah, after hours at the high school, was it? Cause especially at that time in that sort of town, there wasn't a lot of other excitement. Like there weren't the underage bars of these other more affluent teen movies. It was really like, well, we're going right. to be drinking the old town beer. In a field. In a field. In a field. That's where we drink. Yeah. There was field. And yeah, the golf course. The golf course. But uh, yeah, like seriously, these, these kids don't even have a mall to go to. Yeah, not even a mall. Yeah, so it was either somewhere in the inhospitable, sort of brisk out of doors, or it's like, hey, the school's got amenities. Let's let's break in and enjoy the school's right. amenities. But then they end up like in the boiler room or something, right? Then they're in the boiler room, which is probably warm. Yes, and they're naked. And, and they're naked, but they're naked. And then they lie down on the floor. And at first, because it was, uh, you know, a kind of light and shadow, first it just looked like there were sort of piles of sand or dirt on the floor, and I was horrified, but I later realized there was at least some sort of dirty utility blanket. Yes. And uh, and then there's uh, there's more making out. And then there's like really frank uh, shot of nipple and nipple play, which was so like this whole thing was so interesting because it was it, they all seemed so much more adult than yeah. the John Hughes sorts of teens. And maybe it's right. because they're like working class and not coddled but they and even when they were talking about their jobs and things yeah it wasn't like oh we're gonna go off to more playtime in college it was like oh we're gonna get some dead-end job and get on with our lives so even the way this these sorts of scenes were shot was uh was very adult and not that sort of teehee panty stealing jokiness of of like the sex comedy right it was like oh there's no, very little joy in this movie there's no, joy. I mean, there's no humor <laughs> There was just boiler room sex. Boiler room sex and nipple play, which, I mean, in a teenager movie in 1984, like, and I think maybe this is why I like this movie because like sex was not, I was not having sex at the age of 14, but my mother uh, ran the local Planned Parenthood and like, I knew my way around. I knew what was involved. I had read our bodies ourselves furtively in the basement. (laughs) um, In the boiler room. But this is like, oh, in the boiler room. This is like, 
all right, like this is how people get it on. Yeah, it, it did. It looked it looked really realistic. And and while there were certain things about the movie that seemed porny just because it was like a movie about I mean, it really just was a movie about these two kids having this super hot relationship because forbidden love. It wasn't that it wasn't exaggerated yes. or idealized. It really just seemed like the camera is on a, a couple of people who are, are having sex, which is hot because they're not really supposed to because they're in the school after hours. Right. And had they been on a pile of dirt, then there would have been some yeah. sort of process yes. of getting the dirt out of that their ass cracks. That real. It was know. that real it's in that, the light that of the real. room. And then, you know, the, the moment passes, they finish up and she just, she up and takes off. And she goes home to her empty house. And, and then that's the moment of like, cause, cause you get the sense that before then it was like play danger to her because, you know, she did have, she had protection, right? right? She was protected. Well, she wasn't using protection, but she had protection in terms of right. being a high status member of the community, uh, being a cheerleader, having a football player boyfriend, having this whole like stable home situation. Um, but then she's all alone in her house. And then it's like, whoa, this thing seemed kind of dangerously playful. But now this guy is just at your house and nobody's there. And I actually don't remember how they get from it being slightly creepy to back in bed. I, I think there's a, there's a little conversation about, like, please go. No, I'm not going to go. Maybe I love you. I don't know if he right. says I love you. They have some... No, I don't think that's till later. Yeah. So they have some conversation about um, something. Hey, we just did a thing. Now I'm here. It shouldn't be weird that I'm here now because we were just there all naked in the pool. And then right. I think he makes her say that she wants him. Oh, right. This right. movie is so that adult. Is a, so yes. adult. It really is. Yeah. Yes. He's like, do you want me? And she's, she sort of won't say anything. And then she nods and he's like, say it say it and and so then she's like i want you i want you i want you and then they're yeah. in bed again in her mom's bed what you want me huh you want me yes then say it say i want you. say it what who who you you, you. I want you. You do? In her mom's bed, and she's on top, and then he tells her to stop because he doesn't want to come yet. And then he's like saying how they should stay like that forever and send out for food mm -hmm. and live the rest of their lives like almost coming, yep. I guess. And that goes on for a while. Teens. <laughs> yeah. Teens. And then they fall um, asleep. Yeah. And then suddenly it's morning and the family has come back and they're scrambling and he's, and you know, the little brother comes in who is rooting <laughs> for Aiden Quinn in, in every possible scene. And, and she says like, take him to your room, get him out of here. And, and so he stands up to put on his clothes mm -hmm. and there's his swinging dick, like totally visible as he's putting on his pants. Again, teenager movie yep. in 1984, bear cock. It was a different, it was a different time. There it is. Teens. So, but it was like, there's no bear cocks in John Hughes no. movies. No, not, not even close. Not <laughs> even close. any of the rest of them. 
Yeah. And it, that was, uh, yeah, that, that also, again, really um, treated in a really realistic way. Like the cool younger brother who looks up to this kid who's like, oh, my older sister likes you. He probably thinks her boyfriend's kind of a douchebag anyway. And so he... Little kids always know. Yeah, little, little kids know. Yeah. So he, he spirits uh, the guy over to his room. And, uh, and then the mom walks in and she's like, Oh, Tracy, where are you? And Tracy's like, Oh, the lights went out and I got scared. So I somehow ended up naked in your bed, mom. (laughs) And the mom just like sits down with her and starts giving her presents that I guess she went shopping and pretty things. And then things and and then doesn't even notice naked in her bed, which I think has to be like, also like it would smell like sex in there. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because all those teenage pheromones. Definitely. Yeah. Right. It would. She'd really be like, she'd know. Except like, I think the the thing about that character, she did have sort of a willful not knowing. Yes, that's true. And there are definitely mothers like this who have this sort of like, la, 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 la. Well, and that's part of, I mean, I think we haven't really brought up the fact that like, Daryl Hannah's main damage is this thing of like, she's kind of waking up and realizing that she doesn't know what the fuck she wants and that she's just been like on autopilot with what everyone expects of her all this time. And so, you know, like Johnny Rourke is shaking her up. And um, so then she's sitting there in the bed with her mom. She's naked. The mom is dressed, giving her presents. (laughs) And, you know, it's like somehow this sort of normal thing, except totally not. And then her mother says, you know, your father and I thought it was time and hands her a credit card. Yeah, that was weird. Right. And she says something like this is the only moment where you have any inkling that Tracy's yeah. going to college is she That's says you're going to need a lot of things for next year. But it's like so she's handing her a credit card. It's like all these things are packed into that. Like you're a full adult you know, we can afford to pay bills that we aren't even looking at, you know, when you sign for them. You are economically liberated in a way that no other kid in this town is. And, oh, you just got laid in my bed here. Have a credit card. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's got my name on it. I thought it was a good idea and your father agreed. I can just go in there and buy whatever I want? Well, you can't go crazy, but you're going to need a lot of things for next year. That's great. That's a start. Everything's okay with you? Yeah, I'm okay. Not to worry. Right? Right. Good. Yeah, and I think... um Maybe what that, like the, the way that they downplayed her going to college, because I could see if she was already a, the girl with the most toys kind of person in that kind of town, like talking a lot about going away and going to college uh, would not have been good. Like she was probably socially savvy enough right, to say, okay, I'm not going to talk about these things. Like maybe, you know, her boyfriend uh, was the son of the guy who owns the plant. Oh, I thought the, it was just the like the manager. Oh, maybe the manager. But it looks it seems like her boyfriend is probably, you know, likely to well, if he doesn't continue to work at the going to his father's line of business, like maybe he could be going um going off to college. 
but yeah, so that's probably the signal that she's, she's on her path out. And yeah. And her mom is probably just like, there's probably this level of, okay. Um, she is doing all the right things. Like her little monologue about not doing drugs, not getting measles, not having an abortion, uh, really was kind of like, well, here's the, here's the litany of things that the other girls who haven't kept their shit together throughout high school have done. Right. I haven't right. done those. And and that's probably the level that her parents are operating, which is just like, oh, like, okay, we're ticking all the boxes. You're on your way. Hey, here's a credit card. We're just going to not see what we don't want to see because we have all the evidence that you're going to be okay and you're going right. to continue on in your future. Right. Yeah. You oh, know best, so honey. So checked out. And her father's never shown. That's correct. Her father's never shown. And I thought a lot about that. Like, I think that it would have just blown the, in the same way that she has to be socially savvy enough to like not make a big deal out of that she has a future and no one else does. The movie couldn't really show her family properly situated in the class structure, because it would have broken the kind of fragile verite reality of no one going anywhere in this town. Because actually in this town there have to be like doctors and lawyers and you know her dad is probably one of those but it has to be this like sort of factory steam lit hole that no one ever gets out of yeah it's a really the the social dynamic is simplified to the level of a a music video even though the way it's shot yes is uh is very and uh and realistic but speaking of dads so there's been one scene earlier where Johnny gets called out of class and he has to go pick up his dad because his dad's too drunk. And I will say, I really plant. appreciated that he came prepared with yes. a, a chain and a lock to, because his dad has to ride on the back of his motorcycle to get home to actually uh, lash his father to him so his father doesn't have to worry about holding on tightly. So yes. that was a nice detail. There were some, some nice prop details there, and that, that was one of them. And that scene turns out to be like one of Chekhov's guns, you know, like (laughs) something is going to happen. Um, And what happens is he gets called out of class another day and goes down to the plant. And instead of his dad being there with the plant manager, Randy's father, um, he's taken on this in real time walk all the way through the plant to the offices and you don't see any of it, but there's just this kind of ominous sense and a kind of um, there's a shot of some sort of slag bubbling on fire. And you are given to understand that his father has died in an industrial accident. And then, yeah, I really, I did also appreciate the shot of the, um, the supervisors or foreman's room, like the glass box with the big block letter safety sign over it. It did have a very Devo look to it. (laughs) <laughs> as as well so i thought that was uh yeah that was a nice shot but it's wordless but he walks in you kind of you know what's going to happen and you see right. off in a a longer shot they're they're having a conversation and then he has to go clean out his dad's locker so yeah there's probably some some locker parallelism here school locker work locker, school locker factory locker we're all doomed yeah um so yeah, then there's the funeral, and then he goes back to his house, <laughs> and there's oh, 
we forgot one detail in the high school. They're like looking at their records and their their like school records, and his says, uh, you know, she's reading it or he's reading it out loud, but it's being read out loud, and it's all blah blah blah. And then something about uh, bad behavior, um, potential for to be dangerous and destructive, seems to date to mother's abandonment in sophomore year or something like that. And so now we know why, uh, both why he is bad, mother's fault, mm-hmm. and why he has no mother uh, in the yes. movie. Oh, and there, um, is, there is a scene where he comes home uh, after the dance, I think, after, after oh, dropping yeah. her off, like showing her his like view of the city uh, where he drinks his beer, coming back, and his, his father is in his room dancing with a, an, an age appropriate lady. And there's a, yes. a bit of an altercation and, uh, and he says, Oh, a, a great, a new mommy. Oh, you'll marry her. Right. I hope you don't drive right. her away. You know, like you did mother, like you did my, my other mom. mom or the implication yeah. is that the, the father drove the mother away the, the father's like oh yeah i kicked her out she was terrible and it's like no actually she left your ass and uh and then right then the father who had previously been very tender in terms of like admiring his fit son wearing his jacket and becoming a man is now uh you know he now turns on him and uh and they, yes. they have a fight you'll probably be getting married right i want to be kidding well i'm just asking because you know i'd uh they have a big fight and Johnny storms off and he's actually sleeping at the school oh. in the boiler yes. room and like showering at the school and stuff. Um, so yeah, so that scene happened and then there's, then everything else happens and then there's the funeral and then he goes back to his house and he's in, in some room. I mean, it's a very small apartment. Um, in some room, there's a box of things of like memorabilia and he starts looking through it and there's a picture of his mom and, um, some things from when he was very young and there's a cigar that says it's a boy that was clearly a relic from the day he was born. And I don't know, he like burns the picture of his mother, um, and he lights the cigar. So he's smoking a cigar that was from the day he was born and burning things. And then kind of just, you know, spur of the yeah. moment decides to burn the house down. Like, oh, let's start with the photos and memorabilia. And the uh, house is going with it. And yeah. this isn't really my home anymore. And both my parents are dead. So whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done here. Meanwhile, career day is happening at the high school. And the representatives yes. of uh, the career day that they'd been prepared for in the beginning. Yes. And the steel mill people are giving little talks about whatever. And Johnny comes up and they're in the auditorium and he tries to get Tracy's attention and finally gets her to come out and they go to the home ec room. Um, So they're in this room with like practice ovens and 
Um, it's very like the place where you're supposed to learn domesticity and they're having this kind of crazy fight and he wants her to come with him and he's going to leave. And he says some amazing line about like, I have all these feelings and I don't know how to express them. And then I think Randy comes in and there's fighting. I need you to come with me and do everything with me and to feel everything with me. It's just not good alone. so tired of your fucking bullshit act. Randy, can you just leave us alone for a minute? No, this has nothing to do with you. This is between me and him. There's nothing between me and you. There sure as shit is. As you pissing me off, and there's me not taking it anymore. Randy, don't. Why the fuck not? Who the fuck are you, huh? Randy, I ain't gonna fight. Randy, come on, his father just died. Yeah, he was so drunk he fell right in with the slag. <laughs> And then suddenly we're at the moment. Is this is this like the ending there? We're at the moment yes. of truth. The moment of yeah. truth. Yeah, so the moment of truth. Everyone's around them. And and he, Aiden Quinn says to her, Tracy, I love you. I'm leaving. Come with me. Are you coming? And you, you watch her deliberating as best Daryl Hannah can act with her face. She's deliberating mm-hmm. and... Um, and then she decides to go with him and they get on the motorcycle and ride off into the miserable yeah. landscape. Um, Tracy! Tracy! Come on! Come on! Are you with me or not? Tracy, I love you. Tracy? And that is the point where it loses me because I'm like, you idiot girl. Like, why? Like, he loves you. He's known you for three days and you're going to just throw away what little future you have to run off with this guy who is clearly a little smarter than everyone else. But like, what are you going to do with your lives just because a dude says I love you? Yeah, I saw that scene and I was thinking, ah, uh, teen pregnancy within three months. Yeah, it's like, what's that Rod Stewart song uh, where the girl gets pregnant? Oh, uh, yes. Maggie. Oh, is that what that's about? That yeah, one. Yeah, I don't really. Yes. Sure. I Isn't don't it? Really listen to it. Okay. Don't, don't <laughs> listen to it to research it. It'll get stuck in your head and it's a terrible song. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yes, that that's a teen pregnancy and a sad life, just like on a motorcycle yeah. driving towards its destiny. But yeah, poor, poor choices to, to break away. Yeah. I also wonder, cause it's like, Oh, what happens? What happens after that? She takes this sort of, sort of happy ending where like neither, cause the a typical ending would be, he would crash his motorcycle and die and and she'd be and so that she the the conflagration would be reflected in her welling eyes like that could be one direction but she's like ah but i'm i'm free but she uh (laughs) she chooses it's that it's that weird forced choice right which it's like oh is it stable longtime boyfriend randy or reckless bad boy johnny (laughs) it's got to be a randy or a johnny and instead of saying, no, you know what, because that was the nice thing at the end of uh, St. Almost Fire, 
where Ali Sheedy is like, yeah. you know, you two guys, yes. um, I'm not going to date anybody and I'm going to do my own yuppie thing. In this case, it's like, okay, my, my mother's like too much on the quaaludes to really, really listen to my cry for help. My other boyfriend's a tool. I'm having really hot sex with you. So I choose that. Like, let's go tour the boilet rooms of, uh, <laughs> of America. Of America. Oh, and she has a credit card. So there's like a plot. <gasps> yes. like, they have something to live on. I never thought of that until just now. Oh, the credit card. Because they got to at least be able to buy gas. I mean, they've proved that they can sleep anywhere. But. Yeah. So now they have, the, they have a motorcycle and a credit card. And that's really, um, yep. that's all you need. So, yeah, so it's a, uh, yeah. it's a simple story. You know, the other thing I realized when I was watching it again was that I, it was not, my admiration for this movie had nothing to do with, like, you know, um, identifying with Daryl Hannah. Like, I didn't want to be her. Usually, like, you know, you want to be the girl. Like, I wanted to be him. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be as so self-confident that nobody's aggressions could phase me yeah. in the slightest and that I believed in every move I made and didn't care if anyone rejected me and like who doesn't want that and you could overcome everything with having nothing but having that attitude right right attitude gets you everything and I think you know it, it's interesting to to think of this movie as the counter to pretty in pink in both cases the wealthy mm -hmm. object of admiration is kind of blank right like like daryl hannah is is fine but she herself admits that she's kind of a blank. Mm -hmm. like she's i've just i've done the correct things and i've checked all the boxes i am the blonde cheerleader and that's it like she doesn't have agency she yeah, just reacts right. to his moves and right. i think that was really established like he puts the record on and literally right. makes her dance right whereas in in pretty in pink molly ringwald's character andy was the one from the wrong side of the tracks who had to have the moxie yeah. and the creativity and the agency and she's sort of between her class compadre ducky but then rejects him for the super dull blaine who's at least like nice-ish to her but not really because he, he doesn't do a good job of protecting her throughout the movie from his class cohort and then they end up together and so maybe maybe this is really about like when you're an interesting person who doesn't come from a lot of money maybe your rite of passage is through a boring upper class person right and you get a few good meals out of it and then you continue <laughs> on your journey right right let's hope that Aiden Quinn leaves her behind and like yeah. moves on in his life. Mm -hmm. Not, yeah, I, so, I mean, I don't wish like, you know, him abandoning children or anything like that. Like let's yeah. hope it happens before the teen pregnancy. Yeah. yeah but, but it really is like, it's not her story. It's his story and his story. Right. He's like, Oh, right. he's a, he's a, attracted to uh, the, you know, the pretty blonde person with a, a meal ticket and then he gets out and then maybe maybe rather than her being the princess that needs to be rescued, <laughs> maybe she really is just like a, kind of a stepping stone for him. Or yeah, maybe she goes back and she's fine on her path in the same way that I right. assume. She could, she could crawl home from this easily and everyone would just be like, oh, great, you've come to your senses. I'll tell you, yeah. And meanwhile. It wouldn't even be that far of a crawl. It would just be like, hey, I'm home. And her mother would say, oh, honey, we're, we've been so worried about you. We wondered about all those gas charges. 
which in 1984 would have been three dollars so for a motorcycle right and and hopefully right. stopping at the drugstore for some condoms too or and or maybe she's thought to plan parenthood did they take credit cards in 1984 yeah please yeah well, I would <laughs> uh Probably, I would imagine. Those little slider things with the mimeograph credit card slips. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I did steal some condoms from Planned There weren't just once. condoms just around because the 80s, like once, I mean, it, um, once uh, AIDS awareness kind of broke through the mainstream, it was like every place that young people gathered, right. there were punch bowls of, of condoms. Right. I mean, my recollection is that there were sort of ashtrays full of condoms in my house, but I may be just glamorizing the degree to which my mother was cool, and that may not be true. <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure they were around. Though actually, the ones I stole, I stole when I was probably 12 or 13, and it was for a prank. So, and I, I admitted it later. The theft. That's that's very good of you because you were the you were a good girl. <laughs> a good girl. I was, and I, I never had the measles. measles. That was really. Uh... That was really more on, you know, her mom for getting her vaccinated rather than measles is not an STD. Vaccinated. Yeah, I know. I was the script writers really. Yeah, I I bet I bet it was an STD in the original script and somebody made them change it because it's like comes right after I never had an abortion or the measles. Of course, the things go together. I've never had an abortion. I've never had the clap. (laughs) Nope. The sensors aren't going to go for that. We can see nipples, but no clap. No clap. No clap. Yeah, so people people came out of this movie. At least the the principals went on to decent um, uh, careers. You know, the Chris Columbus, the writer, went on to to write Gremlins, or he he also was writing Gremlins because that also came out in 1984. The Goonies. So this was basically the prequel to the Goonies. <laughs> A couple Harry Potter's movies. <laughs> uh, he directed Home Alone. I don't remember the Goonies. Oh, he directed Home Alone and Harry Potter huh. movies. Oh, he really stayed with the like teenager genre. Yeah, except I mean, Gr- Gremlins is a work of genius that maybe we'll save for uh, for Christmas time. Yeah, that- and he uh, he actually came out of Ohio too. So this was this was his story. Gremlins or Chris Columbus, who wrote Reckless, Reckless is from Ohio went to the Tisch School of the Arts at yeah. NYU and he forgot to renew his scholarship and had to take a factory job to pay for school. No way. So he worked on a screenplay while on shifts. Fascinating. Really, NYU is such a bureaucracy that they couldn't like help out the kid who was neglectful? I guess not. So I think he might have gone back and where his, his dad worked in an aluminum factory and um, because he forgot to sign a few key slips of paper... And, you know, if you were on scholarships in college like I was, mm-hmm. boy, you had to sign those slips of paper to get your money. And it was many, many pieces of money. The money came in many pieces, and each one had a couple of slips of paper you had oh, to sign. Yeah. Yes, the slips of paper. And, uh, yeah, so he would hide between giant rolls of aluminum, uh, hiding from his foreman, and and writing a screenplay. And uh, this article doesn't say which screenplay, but perhaps it was <laughs> reckless. To write? And, uh, it would- and, Perhaps that's why it's so verite. Yeah, it would seem appropriate that it was reckless. As far as the representation, inclusion, women's things, I would say definitely rapey, a little bit. Yep, yep, a little bit rapey. Got the stocking in there. Not so much the glass bricks or the cocaine. I think those were more the uh, uh, the upper middle class 80s movies. Yes, yeah, there's, no, there's nothing besides 
the hope of cannabis cultivation and Iron City beer in this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cannabis cultivation is a career track. And uh, and it, there's some mild homophobia. There's mm-hmm. only white people. Yes, this is true. I believe the film passes the Bechdel test. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it does if you count the mother. Yeah, she talks to her mom about things that aren't... Yeah, you know, she talks to her mom about herself, so I guess that's uh, that's yeah. pretty good. And about that's not a boy. Yeah, not a boy. So I think uh, I think that's pretty good. It's got some yeah, a lot of self-destructive behavior and poor life choices. But it seems like you know she's got plenty of agency and pretty much zero people of color. I think in this. Yes, and sadly, that's not something I would have noticed about it uh, at the time. You know, well, because you're watching in black and white. That's also true. I could have thought there were black people in the movie. <laughs> I mean, you would expect there to be black people in a steel town, but also very segregated. There were three black people in my high school, I'm pretty sure. And how big was your high school? 700 people. Okay, that's not super small. No. Yeah. And then then in terms of uh, rewatchability. I mean, you had never seen it before and seemed to find it compelling. I, having truly loved it, uh, I was completely happy watching it again. Um I some, b- before this I watched a couple other movies that I thought I wanted to talk with you about. I watched them again and I was really disappointed and didn't couldn't even think of anything interesting to say about them. So I think that gives me a real confidence in the rewatchability score on this movie. Like I'd put it at a 90 out of 100. Yeah. Yeah, actually I think uh I think I'd I'd place this one at at about a 90 as well because it's it is that interesting contrast with wow they they wouldn't have made an r-rated nipple focused movie about high school uh that that was pretty gritty that's not to say i mean it's still a very it's a pretty simplistic story uh it kind of is like a long form music video so that makes makes a lot of sense that if you like just cut out the dialogue maybe it would be the stronger (laughs) i mean there are some good lines it's not like it's completely unquotable but there are like two good lines but really, most of it um, are the the montages of uh, a boiler right. room sex and uh, reckless high school behavior, as as promised in the title. Uh, and it's a different view of you know life in the in the eighties amongst yeah. people who are you know economically insecure and don't have good prospects because a lot of um, you know, the more John Hughes movies are about people like living in that material world. Like there was zero materialism. Right. In this movie, there wasn't that fetishization of stuff and fashion and hair bows and cars and things like that. You got a sense of like, oh, your vehicle is your means of transportation. Some people have slightly nicer ones than others. Your clothes protect you from the elements. Um, (laughs) Your hard hat also doubles as a motorcycle helmet. Right. Um, you know, so you get that Appalachian view. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think part of what makes it, as you're saying, watchable is that it's a really interesting movie about class. Um, and you know, for me, it's like, Oh yeah, I grew up with some of this and I'm, I really wonder what it would be like, to watch it as somebody who grew up on the right side of the tracks in pretty in pink or 16 candles or whatever. Um, which uh, we know lots of people who were those people, but I wasn't one of them. Yeah. 
so it's a good, it's definitely make, definitely make a great um, double feature with Pretty in Pink, I think, uh, to give you the, the two sides of that because they both, like, they both center on a dance. The one dance comes earlier, the other dance comes later. Um, they both have right. that rich kid, poor kid, love triangle, are you going to be a class trader uh, for the more interesting person from the other side of the tracks, et cetera. The missing parents, uh, you know, it really, I think, helps show how um, how just unrealistic, I think, the Harry Dean Stanton character in Pretty in Pink is. Because <laughs> he was the unemployed father uh, who the mother had left. But he was just like, oh, gee, shucks, honey. Mm-hmm. I've got a little too much social anxiety and I'm depressed and can't get a job. But here, I know how to pick out a dress your size, honey. <laughs> I totally never slap you around, you know, so. Right. But, and the music, I would just say the music is really, really um, fantastic and kind of a little bit, I'd say, too avant-garde and progressive for the location and subject matter of the movie but whatever it worked yeah I mean I was thinking a lot about that and there was a show as I'm sure many people listening to this know called 120 minutes on MTV that was once a week and it was all the like new wave cool shit and I had of course I don't even think anyone had a TV in this movie or we didn't see them. But I just kept thinking about the incongruity of the soundtrack and the town and then just hoping that like Aidan Quinn was, you know, watching 120 minutes at someone's house somewhere in his past. And that's how he knew all these songs. (laughs) Oh, he does watch TV. That's right. Maybe. Yeah. His his dad um, is sitting there watching TV and watching his, you know, fit son go off to the dance he is sort of settled in the right. couch like drinking um oh, yes. john rourke senior is is the character's name played by kenneth mcmillan so he is kind of settled in and, and watching tv but i didn't get the sense it was a, a cable tv household but you know maybe there were some since there were kids who were affluent then probably you know tracy maybe had mtv and maybe the AV club right. would order the cool records or something like that um, to have them available to be played by. There also would have been radio. I mean, they were listening to the radio. Maybe they were close yeah, enough to a, some like a, big town. The college. They got a cool maybe there was a college radio station. Radio station. Right. Okay. So now, now we're, we've logicked through them knowing this music. We've totally logic through it. The, yeah. Carnegie Mellon had a giant antenna. Yes. And was blasting in excess and Romeo Void across the abandoned steel towns of yes. Appalachia. Yes, a there. tower with 50,000 watts. Solved it. <laughs> totally. But I mean, the soundtrack also does make it intensely rewatchable. Yeah. And you could even, you know, I mean, we could like t- tell you the the timestamps for where the good lines are. And then it could be just like, <laughs> listen to a song. Go to this timestamp for the good line. Fast forward to the dance. Fast forward to the high school sex scene. We we could make a guide for watching this. Yeah, that where it would only take like half yes. an hour. Reckless in twenty nine minutes. <laughs> yeah, but still pretty good. But definitely, definitely problematic. But not cringy. Not cringy. And <laughs> worth rewatching. Cool. And that's reckless, folks. And that's that's reckless. That's reckless. And that will tell you something. About Kyo stuff. <laughs> it may tell you things about me that I am going to regret. You knowing maybe she chose in eighth grade. Mature yes. individual. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erica.
this has been surprisingly problematic. Tune in next time for another awkward nostalgia fest.